Welcome to E-Commerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. Thank you guys so much for joining the show today. This is John LeBaron. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer here at Pattern. And today we are joined by Brian Gill. He is the SVP of Marketing at For Life Research, and we are thrilled to have him on the show today. So thank you so much. Brian, you've had an awesome career and an awesome trajectory. And before we get into you know, the e-commerce innovation topics around For Life specifically, I think it'd be interesting for a lot of our listeners here to hear more about your story and the journey that you've had. You've had a really stellar career in this space, and I'd love the listeners to learn a little bit more. So tell us a little bit more about that journey. Yeah, I'd be happy to, John. I, I want to make a, a commitment. I hope I can keep to your listeners. I, I like listening to podcasts, and I'm sure you do too. And I'm happy to be on this podcast. It's a pleasure. But I, as I thought about this, I rarely tune into a podcast because of the person or the company they work for. And so I'm under no pretense here that people are tuning into me or, or the company I work for. I listen more topically. I'm interested in topics and what I can glean from you know what the two people are talking about. And so I have your listeners in mind today. I, I will talk about uh, myself, my company, our journey uh, with e-commerce, but I'll always be thinking, how can I apply this to the good people listening out there? So that's my commitment. Make sure I follow through on that if you don't mind. <laughs> Throughout this process, but so you asked me about my my journey um, in my career in marketing, and so for those that are interested in a career in marketing, here's one path uh, that you can take, and it starts with being proactive. I I lived in Japan for two years and and came back, um, you know, speaking every day. So I came back with a high level of of Japanese speaking ability, and and uh, right after college, I got a customer service job at a direct sales company speaking Japanese, um, and I thought. Speaking Japanese was hard enough, but doing customer service in Japanese and resolving problems was even more difficult. But I loved it. And I worked at this company. It was a startup. And they would send out a weekly newsletter. And I would read it. And it had a lot of, uh, let's say, room for improvement, some some errors. And I've always been good at, at messaging and, and, and writing and, and grammar and things like that. And so I took the opportunity early on, just out of college, to take that newsletter and redline it, mark it up rewrite some things just just in red pen on on the printed newsletter. And I took it to the president of the company and I said, I think I can help make this newsletter a bit better. Would you mind if I half-timed as a as a copywriter and did my Japanese speaking uh, customer service job at the same time? And then maybe we can see if it makes sense to for me to get into a different role, into marketing, right? And so he took me up on that and I became a copywriter and an editor for this really cool company that then got acquired by a big player in the direct selling industry. And then I worked for that company for four years. And um, throughout my career, I've, I've worked at, at, at young direct selling companies and also some very established and, and really awesome uh, direct selling companies as well. And marketing is a cool career, in my opinion, because there's so much you can do. I started out as a copywriter and editor, but then it soon turned into general marketing, product marketing, website management, uh, product training, social media, corporate communications, PR, uh, branding. And so just think about all the things that you can do within marketing, events, recognition, video, social media. And so it's it's a blessed career path. 
And um, I'm grateful to all the companies that I've worked for that gave me the experience. And now here I am at an awesome, wonderful company called For Life. I'm the head of marketing and I have a, a stellar team and I find myself focusing a lot on um, my team and leadership development within the team because no one person can do everything. And I'm uh, grateful to be surrounded by a great team and I, I invest a lot in their development. So pretty quick, I hope that was quick enough to not bore people. And hopefully they were thinking like, what is my path like and how can I learn something from that? I don't know if they did, but I hope they did. Yeah, no, I, I love that background, Brian. And, you know, we didn't really actually have a chance to go through a lot of that. And it's ironic. Well, first of all, in, on the top of e-commerce innovation, you know, innovation as a whole is a wildly misunderstood and overhyped kind of word and discipline in some ways. But I think first and foremost, to your point, it starts with innovating yourself constantly, innovating your career, innovating your your own capabilities and your abilities and your interests and and diving into different areas. And the other thing that I think is interesting about that story, which I had not heard, is I started my career also in customer service. I worked for GE Consumer Finance and uh, same sort of things. So that's hilarious. I was doing customer service and then saw their newsletter was terrible and uh, actually helped you volunteered to start in that space and then ultimately ended up in copywriting in a di- various different agencies as well. So that's really hilarious that... Uh, who knew that that would have kind of come to pass, but that started a long journey of innovating on my own, you know, career and disrupting myself and being willing to to take risks. So I, I think that's just fascinating. So you mentioned a team at Four Life. Like, tell us a little bit more about the company, and obviously you're in marketing, but tell us like day to day what that role looks like and what you're tasked with. Yeah, so we are we're a direct selling company, and that means that we're we're like a B to C to C company, if that makes sense. So we're a business that that produces and we produce our own products, manufacture our products, and we market and, and sell those to a consumer, which we call affiliates. And they're, they're our sales force. And they actually do a lot of marketing for us because they have an affiliate opportunity to earn income as they sell our products. And they are our main sales force. And they do a lot of our marketing. We're grateful to them. And so we don't we don't traditionally spend a lot of money in traditional marketing and advertising or digital marketing and advertising. We invest in creating materials that will help our affiliates sell the product to customers. So that's the B to C to C. Yep. So that's our model. So we're there to support our affiliates in every way that we can. And uh, well, maybe I'll stop there. Any, any thoughts there? That's, that's kind of our model. Maybe yeah. restate the rest of the question. Yeah. So if folks are not familiar with that model, I mean, is there, I don't know if you publicly disclose this, but can you tell us how many affiliates you have and, you know, are they, is this global? Is it mostly here in North America? Like help us understand the scope because I think it's just, it's so fascinating. Um, And you've obviously been in in this industry for a while. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So for life is, is, was founded in 1998. So we've been in business for that, that about 23 years and we're in, we have offices in 25 markets and, and products flowing in about 50 markets with um, hundreds of thousands of affiliates selling worldwide. And, you know, that number is, is always, is, there's always people coming in and out. It's like, like anything else, right? It's, it can be cyclical and you always have to invest, inject energy into it to keep things growing. And, but yeah, so it's kind of a rolling um, model there. Uh, so that's kind of the scope and reach of, of for life. And I think it, interesting in this space, right? Like 
supplements are an interesting thing and they've exploded and the trajectory is, is white hot still. But I think what's interesting and honestly innovative about the business model is generally the democratization of information is tricky. And especially on something like this, where there's always going to be some level of skepticism or, or whatever, there has to be a trusted source of information. Um, and many supplements kind of choose this practitioner route where they go through doctors or chiropractors or, you know, natural medicine, you know, or healers or whatever it is to, to kind of get that connection. I think in this space, in the direct selling, you are literally taking advantage of people who have used a great product and have kind of been able to, you know, evangelize the effects of that product with their friends, with their family members, with uh, other folks. And you're kind of capitalizing on that network effect. And certainly we're talking about e-commerce today. If you go look for For Life on Amazon, you're going to see these amazing products. I'm, I'm looking at one here has nearly 3000 ratings, you know, 160 answered questions, four and a half stars. And that is another way to kind of like, you know, evangelize in some way, but maybe just tell us a little bit about, you know, the role that, that those affiliates play in really scaling what already is a very innovative product, obviously, if it was two-star product, three-star product, very hard. That's a product issue. You have amazing products. Maybe tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how that innovation has come to pass within the products themselves. Yeah. So this whole thing works, works really well when you have a great sales force and a great product. And, and direct sales is the original kind of influencer model where you have a good experience with the product and you tell your friends about it and they trust you. And then they will purchase the product based on, on your recommendation. Yep. And that's kind of it at, at its basic level, but you know, it gets more sophisticated than that. You alluded to having a trusted source, somebody that's the affiliate or the, this, the distributor, if you will, that can help people get educated about the product because there, there is a lot of science and studies that go into many, many health and wellness supplements as it, as it should be, right? Because these are things that we ingest and take into our body. And we want to make sure that they are well-studied and well-researched and that there's a lot of quality processes going on. And so let me just talk a little bit about Four Life's products, or at least one of Four Life's products. The one that got it all started back in 1998 was a product called Transfer Factor. And Transfer Factor is, is, an, is it's an innovative ingredient or an innovative product. And think of it as an immune system education molecule. It's present in, in colostrum. Mother passes it to baby in, in mammals and humans. And so this is an immune system education molecule that passes immune system information from mother to offspring. And this is how our immune systems uh, know what to do and, and get educated. And so it's a wonderful uh, product and, and it, it, it not only helps, I think one misconception about the immune system is that it always needs to be boosted. Well, that is not always the case. Uh, it's the case a lot of times, but um, some people have overactive immune systems that need to be brought back into balance. And transfer factor can help boost when needed, but also bring back into balance an overactive immune system. So if you really think about it, that's an incredible product. That's a product that everybody needs. And it, it's, it's, been a, it's been an amazing product for us since 1998. That's the product that this company was, was built on. And we have many more products now, but that's where it all started. And we had a bit of a resurgence in, in 2020, right? With the whole world... Yeah. All at once, really focusing on the immune system. So there was a lot of natural marketing, if you will, or natural awareness 
about uh, immune system products and and that was a great natural lift for us. And so that was a trend that that fell into our laps and we were already positioned for it. You know, we are the immune system company. And so we, we put a lot more energy even than we have in the past into um, positioning ourselves as the immune system company. And it's been a really good thing. No, I love that. So maybe back to my earlier question, and I don't know if you've got a thought on this, but you don't, it's not a huge deal, but just, you know, how do you think about innovation as a discipline for you personally, as well as for the team? How do you build out a culture of innovation? What are some of the things that you encourage or practice in your own life or in the life of, uh, as a manager of a great team that you've built out? Yeah, I hope it's okay that when you were saying innovation, I heard learning and growth. Yeah. Um, because I, first of all, John, I, just to go back, so you, we both got to start with a newsletter. I mean, I know. I mean we, don't, we don't know know each other very well at all, but I think we're, we're going to be best friends because we have like the same origin story. I think that's really cool. Totally. Yeah. So I think pro, being proactive, working hard and continuing, continuing to learn is good for anybody. I think it's essential for marketers because we're not in, we're not in a static job. It's not, it's not a job that is the same. It, it's constantly changing. And so if you're not growing and learning in marketing, um, then you're going to be irrelevant and, and obsolete as a person or a company very soon because things change all the time. So within my team, uh, we have a culture of learning. Um, we, we just recently read a, read a book together. It's an old book, the 20, the 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Nice. And we, we get on a Teams call or a, it's a Zoom, but Microsoft Teams call, like we are kind of doing now. And, and uh, we, sh- we talk about some of the principles and see what we can learn and see if there's an action item that we can take away and apply to For Life to better the company. And I think that's good for the company, but I think it's good for the people. I, I remember when I was at other companies and I was looking at the head of marketing at those companies I remember those CMOs that that did things like that and invested in the employees, me, yeah, and the things I learned. I remember that, and so I guess it's thanks to them that I even had the thought to do this with my own team. Yeah, uh, it's important to me now. And if uh, you mind if I share a little story that's related to this, and it relates to marketing, it, it relates to marketing and learning. So I. I have Netflix probably like everybody else that I pay for, but there's also a show I watch on a streaming app that I don't pay for. And if you don't pay for something, what does that mean? Your show is going to be what? Canceled. (laughs) Interrupted. Well, yeah, if they didn't, right. But for the consumer, it's going to be interrupted by advertising. And we don't like that, right? We just want to watch our show. Yeah. But I, over the course of a, a couple of episodes of this particular show, I kept getting advertisements for Duolingo, which is a language learning app. Right. And at, the, at the beginning of this call, I, I told you that I lived in Japan for two years and I was fluent in Japanese. Well, guess what? 25 years has passed Yeah. since I did that. And, and I've tried to keep it up, but basically my Japanese has gone downhill over the past 25 years. But I kept seeing this ad for Duolingo and they just kept telling me that for a few minutes a day, um, I could maintain and 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 get better at my Japanese. So they were interruption marketing to me. And it's kind of like the least desirable form of of marketing, um, in my opinion. 
And the point I'm trying to make is it, it changed my life or it improved my life because I got inspired and I said, I, I've always wanted to keep my Japanese and get it better, but I don't know that I had a good way. And now I do. I think I do. So I downloaded the app and I've been doing it, I would say, with very few exceptions, every day for three months or more. Wow. And it's improved my life. And so as I thought about that interruption marketing that I, I didn't really appreciate, I think it's important for us to believe in our products and to know that we're making a difference. And I know that at For Life, you know, helping to market health and wellness products, that I, I can do something similar to Duolingo. I can change people's lives because I have confidence that this is a good product and it'll help people. And so for everybody listening out there that's a marketer, uh, it's important. It's important to be passionate about your product so that you can market it with boldness and confidence, knowing that you're going to help somebody. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so great. Okay, so Brian, Brian, one of the questions that I wanted to chat through is that, you know, if you think about where you guys have come from and where you started, you told us this amazing story. And you've spent all these years building out this awesome distribution network and affiliates, et cetera. Help us understand this transition to e-commerce and what were some of the goals that prompted you to kind of make that change? Obviously, there are a lot of macro effects and things that are happening in the world that are leading toward e-commerce. But help me understand what were some of the goals that you set out and how, how are you faring on some of those goals today? Yeah, great question. Our goals are... We're, 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 we were very solid and intentional about our goals. You know, we are a direct selling company, which means we are, are B to C to C or, or business for life to a consumer, which is our, our sales force, our affiliates, and then on to a consumer from there that they reach. And so we've got this wonderful business model and it's a real, it's a real person to person type business model. But as, as time has marched on, you know, e-commerce is, is a huge thing. E-commerce and a simple definition would be the buying and selling of stuff online. And that has to be uh, paid attention to. And as that has evolved, you know, these, these online retail marketplaces have become very popular. And we noticed that we weren't necessarily there for life, the company, but our products sure were from a variety of different sources and people yeah. and you know, first and foremost, we, we noticed that the brand was not being represented properly, <clears throat> whether that was due to the price, you know, was the price way too high? Yeah. The price could have been just right or the price was too low and having the price too high or too low uh, doesn't serve us or our affiliates. And so we had a brand, a real brand issue in our online presence in these retail sites. I recall, I recall a product being sold with um, a picture not of that product at all. It wasn't even of any product. I can't remember what it was, but it was just some random item. (laughs) It wasn't our product at all. And oftentimes, um, if it was a picture of the product, it it wasn't a great resolution or it wasn't just the right right brand feel for it. So we had a brand image issue going on there. And so our our main goal was to come in and protect the brand because the, the longevity and success of, of any company, in my opinion, is, is going to be based on how that brand is protected and promoted and perceived. And so that was, that was very valuable. <clears throat> it's very valuable to us. And, and we just had, we had to come in and, and, and have that presence there prominently uh, on Amazon. Yeah. So that was the first goal. The second goal is equally as important. 
and it was to establish a retail price in a in a credible place in another credible place in addition to our own website. So as you know, uh, Amazon, for example, and these other retail sites, they have a lot of uh, great third-party credibility. The reviews are are honest, and they're just they're they're there. They're not homegrown. Sure. Um, they have a, a great deal of validity and. Uh, the Amazon platform has a lot of great ways to promote a product with, with video and images and, and text and reviews. And so by having our retail price established there, it lends a further credibility to our affiliates opportunity. And again, that is for our affiliates to offer their customers the product at, a, at the wholesale price. And, you know, we know that when we go into stores today, we might see something we see on a shelf and we like it and it has a price. And what do we do? We'll pull out our phone and, and see what that's selling for on Amazon. And so that's a great thing for us when people do that because they'll they'll see the, the product's retail price and, and they'll know that they are getting that best deal from that affiliate. So those were our two main goals, protect the brand and then establish that retail price to further validate our affiliates opportunity there. I think that's really great. And certainly many folks in kind of the direct selling space, no doubt have had those similar challenges. And I think it's great for you guys to be able to lead out and kind of pioneer in that space. And I can imagine if you think about it now, you know, you've got your affiliates sitting down with friends or family members or, you know, acquaintances that that they're presenting this business opportunity to, or that they're actually selling to. And to be able to have that kind of background that they can show the product. And then, you know, to your point, that customer is going to check on Amazon quickly, scope out the reviews. What are people saying? What are they asking? How is the brand being presented? And if the imagery looks great, the product's amazing, obviously. So it's got great reviews on there. And then certainly to your point, if the price point, it just feels like it's it's a net positive to both you and the brand as well as your affiliates, which I think is a tough needle to thread sometimes. So yeah, congratulations on on getting that all set up correctly. That's fantastic. Yeah, thanks, John. It is important to to address all of these ways to buy and sell and to be present in those formats because the direct selling business model is so complete, in my opinion. You know, you have you have affiliates who are our most passionate customers, really. And they're the ones that they, they take the product themselves and they want to share it with others because they love it so much. And they have, they have the opportunity to earn an income through that affiliate model. So that's, you know, that's one way that, that direct selling is, is a great opportunity. But also we have preferred customers, people that aren't interested in the affiliate side of it, but they want the wholesale price. So that's there. And then there's, there's retail as well. And as we talked about, that helps that helps set that benchmark for the product's value in, in the marketplace. And again, uh, it's direct selling is, is online and in person. And not a lot of businesses are, are like that these days. So it's, it's a really complete model. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you've talked about some of the challenges that you faced as you kind of crossed the Rubicon from the analog to digital world, so to speak, and starting to you know, take a more proactive stance or presence on a marketplace like Amazon. What are some of the challenges today? You you are now up and running. You've been able to, you know, be a seller and represent the brand well and seems like things are humming. What are some of the challenges today 
in maintaining instead of just building out that presence? Yeah, I, I think one of the very first challenges was building out the presence online. I think naively we thought we have we have assets and copy for all of our products, obviously yeah. here at For Life and on our website. So won't it be so easy just to get those up on Amazon? And it's not necessarily the case. It and it, it just takes it takes a little work. Amazon has its own character counts and requirements and specs uh, for its image stack, for example. And so to build out that you know seven image image stack or, or whatever that number is and to hit the character counts, you do have to do some modifying sure. to uh, your copy and your images. And um, we've created new new videos that we we didn't have before on our website to, for that format. And it's a lot of content creation. And uh, we started with about 50 products and it, it was just more than I thought it would be at, at the very beginning. But as I've learned about, you know, what the scope of it really is, it does make sense that it, it takes some time to do that. So I, anybody out there listening that is looking to do that, just know that you're populating a, a whole new site and think about, just think about one of your products. It yeah. has, it has a, a name, a short description, bullets, long description, yep. you know, imagery videos. So it's, it can be quite a production. I would say certainly start small with your top sellers and, and build out from there. So that was one challenge. Probably the only one, other one that I can think of is not biting or being tempted to take advantage of discounts because, you know, yeah. Amazon is, it's a great place to get the lowest price and, and all that stuff. And just like any kind of marketing engine, there's just, uh, there's Amazon Prime Days, there's Black Fridays, you want to run specials, and there's that temptation to do that. And so, yeah, it's a challenge because, you know, we're, we're aware of all that, but we, we don't bite on that. We don't do that because it's not consistent with our goals, which is to protect the brand and to establish that retail price on Amazon to lend further credibility for our affiliates. So discounting the product doesn't serve either of those. And so we don't do it. Stay strong. Yeah. Yeah, stay strong. <laughs> yeah, when, once you make that decision, I guess that one's not not very hard, but it, I think it was initially just, you know, it was tempting, but not anymore. Yeah, well, it's, I, I do think it's hard to reverse the clock a little bit. You know, you start to train the customers. I feel like I saw this a lot in COVID and, you know, uh, so many retailers that I long held in my own head. Not, I mean, especially those in a retail setting, brick and mortar, that rarely discounted. Uh, all of a sudden, you know, malls closed, they're struggling to move inventory. And I felt like I was getting emails every other day of 30, 40, 50% off. And, you know, as a consumer, it's exciting, obviously, to get that kind of a deal, but there's just massive fatigue. It's almost like the Groupon effect. And you just start to like, A, you, you start to kind of like try to figure out a way to ignore it. But B, I think the potency of the brand starts to diminish as well. And the way that they're kind of placed in your mind in terms of quality and premium starts to really retreat as well. So I think, you know, at Pattern, we've been really fortunate to work with many brands. We've never discounted even once over the last five years. And those brands still have grown, you know, 2X, 3X, 4X, 5X. So it's been gratifying to see that you can actually still grow business very well without kind of falling into that high low price model or discounting trap. Well, maybe you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't kind of ask a little bit of a Nostradamus question here. You talked earlier about, you know, e-commerce is really the sell of anything 
via the internet, extending into social media, you know, buying from your phones, et cetera. Maybe just a, a little bit of a question of, and you can take this for where for life is headed specifically, or just your, you know, postulation on where things are headed in the world we live in. If you look at other areas of the world, and we look at how much e-commerce has grown just in the U.S., right? It, it's it's grown up to $848 billion in what we call GMV, gross merchandise value, uh, which is a 44% increase uh, since 2019. So it's it's, to your point, it's been massive for immune health, but it's also been massive for many other categories. If we look at other, you know, at the same time, I think retail grew 6.7% or something like that. So it's clear that e-commerce has grown a ton. At the same time in the, in the US, the percentage of sales of all retail sales that are happening, you know, online or via some digital commerce mechanism, you know, in 2019, most estimates hovered in the high teens, you know, 15, 16, 17. And today that number is fast forwarded, what analysts call eight to 10 years in the future in the low 20s, right? So out of every dollar spent in the US, you know, 25% is spent somewhere online, which generally shocks people. They think it's more because many people in the earlier generations or everything they buy, it feels like, is via their phone. So if you look forward and you mentioned Japan, I don't actually know what their penetration rate is. I guess I could look it up real quick, but I know in China, they're the first industrialized country or any country to, to pass 50% of all transactions being done through digital commerce, right? 51%. And I look to a world of, you know, our fridge is probably going to order food for us uh, when it detects that we're running out of mayo or sour cream or milk yeah. or whatever. And, and there's just going to be a whole world with this internet of things that is just automated. I mean, in China today, JD.com, which is the second biggest competitor, which is almost bigger than Amazon globally, by the way, the GMV for China is $2 trillion. So, but, but JD has an amazing infrastructure that they've built that will deliver, you know, everything in six hours. They have six hour delivery across 90% of China right now. So people are ordering their breakfast. Uh, they'll, they'll order a dozen eggs and, you know, someone will have to walk up eight flights in, in Shanghai to bring you your eggs. So it's just kind of a it's just kind of a crazy world. And I think we're still there's a lot of penetration to kind of grow. So all of that to say, any thoughts on your end around where this is going and how it will impact our lives as e-commerce continues to kind of grow and, and dominate? Yeah, I, I, I love that. That whole sentiment, and and I just kept thinking about the buyer's journey. Uh, we we both started out in customer service, as we've learned, and 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 congratulations to anybody that starts out in customer service because twenty years ago, uh, is it yeah, about more than twenty years ago, when I started in customer service, um, I thought it was cool, especially because I was speaking Japanese, but I just didn't know at that time how relevant knowing and understanding what the customer's experience is like would be to my career. And John, I'm sure you feel the same way. There's, there could be no better place to start than customer service for somebody living today because it's all about the customer experience and the customer journey. And so this, this buyer's journey, or let's just call it the sales funnel, whatever you want to call it, it's the sales funnel, the buyer's journey, which um, there's a different ways to represent it. But basically, <clears throat> it's a funnel that's wide at the top with awareness and interest. And, and then it gets narrow as as people that are interested 
get into consideration, they start to consider the product and what are its benefits and what's its price point and how could I use it? And if they consider it, then they, they will likely hopefully convert, which is uh, a purchase in, in, in some interpretations, right? That's what we look for is a purchase. And then once they purchase the product and have a good experience with it, uh, we hope to retain them. So awareness and interest onto consideration, onto conversion and onto retention. That buyer's journey is so important. And you mentioned kind of some futuristic stuff that um, you know people are working on right now. We, we don't have refrigerators at for life that tell us that we need eggs yet, but I've read those articles. Um, I know that's coming. I know that, I know that voice is, is here and is coming probably before that where I'll have to look in my fridge and say, Hey, I need eggs. And I'll say, Hey, somebody get me some eggs. And as you talked about with China, there's this great delivery efficiency and model well, the, where, where they will take it up those flights of stairs and and give you your eggs in, a, in an amazing, astounding amount of time, short, short amount of time. And so all that's coming. And that's why the buyer's journey, the customer experience is so important. And we have a model of that buyer's journey at For Life. And, you know, as we talked about how our main thing at For Life is to support our affiliates. So when we create materials and collateral for them to use, whether it's in traditional uh, marketing with live events and things like that, or online digitally, we're always looking at what will this asset do to help the affiliate? And at what point in the sales funnel or the buyer's journey does that hit? And do we have enough assets at all stages of, stages of the journey to help our affiliates through that process? So I also think that's innovation. And I love that whole concept. I'm, I'm glad we were able to touch on that. Yeah, I think it's really good parting advice. If you're listening here and trying to figure out how do you innovate or instill a culture of innovation, I think you're spot on. Like start with that customer experience and proactively anticipate. And to your point earlier, study, right? Read the reviews, do sentiment analysis on the questions that are being asked and proactively anticipate the needs um, or the potential pitfalls in the customer experience, those gaps and figure out a way to plug them because no amount of technology or automation or, you know, pizzazz is going to compensate for a poor customer experience. And in some ways, those things will only exacerbate or amplify a bad customer experience uh, versus kind of fixing them. So I think that's great parting wisdom. And uh, anyway, this has been fabulous for me to get to know you a little bit, Brian. This is my favorite part of doing the podcast. So thank you so much for making time for us. And certainly, you know, the last thing that strikes me is just that notion of instead of always trying to boost that immune, but regulate it, regulate your immune system. And so I'm going to go buy some poor life products today. So appreciate it. Thanks, John. Thanks, everybody. All right. Take care, Brian.